You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. when they Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 75. Today's reading is from Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 through 31. Open your mouth for the dumb, for the rights of all who are left desolate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, maintain the rights of the poor and needy. A good wife who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and tasks for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She girds her loins with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes herself coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers girdles to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Today's reading is taken from the wisdom literature more specifically the book of Proverbs, and this passage contains the final verses of that book. And honestly, Father, I I chose this reading today simply because I think it's quite beautiful, these verses about the virtuous woman. So I'd like to keep things pretty straightforward today and just get your thoughts uh, on a few verses. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah, sounds like a plan to me, Jason. So let's begin with the opening verses from today, verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the dumb, for the rights of all who are left desolate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, maintain the rights of the poor and needy. Yeah, as you mentioned in your opening comments, this section that you read today are the final words of the entire book of Proverbs. And I think that's significant to point out and highlight again. Why is that? Well, because we always need to keep in mind that the Bible is literature, and so in understanding the texts and what's going on within the texts, we need to consider how literature operates. And I bring that up here specifically because we all know from our literature classes what a person's taught to do in the intro and the conclusion. So, namely, in the intro, you introduce the topics that you're going to develop more fully in the body of the work, and you introduce the reader to your thesis. And that's why I constantly refer back to Genesis 1 through 11, and even more precisely, Genesis 1 through 4 as an introduction to the entire Bible. Because in those sections, you have every main point that will be further elaborated throughout the rest of the Bible. 
And then in the conclusion, you want to make sure that you hammer home your point. It's obviously the final thing that your reader is going to read in that book. So you want to make sure that you tie it all together for the reader to make sure when they finish, you've highlighted again for them the main takeaways. And we even do that on this podcast, Jason, with your summary at the end. And many people have told me that they really appreciate that summary that you provide because it helps them remember the key points we discussed. And so in the conclusion of Proverbs here, that's, that's what's going on. I see. Thanks for highlighting uh, those general concepts. And I'm interested to know why you point uh, that out here specifically in reference to the verses that I read and and that I ask that you comment on, which, again, uh, I'll read here verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the dumb, for the rights of all who are left desolate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, maintain the rights of the poor and needy. Yeah, so the reason that I highlight the function of the conclusion in literature generally and in a book of the Bible specifically is to note that a key point, one of the foundational points of the Bible and here very specifically of the wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs, is the notion of the biblical believer caring for the poor and needy, caring about people being judged righteously, meaning that the judgment would not be biased based on a person's socioeconomic status or their worldly influence and power or lack thereof. And then the idea that we would speak up on behalf of those who cannot speak up for themselves, that we would protect the powerless, the idea that we would be concerned about the rights of those who have been left desolate or are overlooked by society. So in short, what today we refer to as social justice, this notion, this idea of social justice is absolutely a key biblical point and one that we should not overlook. Do you think this aspect of the Bible is something that tends to be overlooked, Father? Yeah, it certainly is often overlooked, in my opinion. In in many communities, it's almost entirely neglected. But in virtually all Christian communities, and here I'll most speak mostly about my own, the Orthodox Christian community, it's almost entirely overlooked or ignored by many. So do you have any any theories? Why do you think that that is? Yeah, well, I guess let me put it this way. I don't want to speculate on the why so much, quite frankly. I'm not sure I could even answer that. I suppose to some extent it might even be uh, judgmental of others to speculate about why. So instead of answering the why question, I'll just stick to what I see happening. And what I see happening is a main focus being on outward piety, a focus on the divine services themselves, an emphasis often on how we're different from other branches or denominations of Christianity or other religions. I see that often during Lent we be we can become self-obsessed with the rules. We can become fixated on what we need to do in our own life for our own spiritual growth. But what I see in the Bible is a criticism of this approach to faith and worship. What I see in the Bible is our emphasis should be on our interactions with our family, our interactions with our community, with our neighbors, our care for the poor and the needy, as was stressed here in the conclusion of Proverbs. And in fact, the Bible constantly pokes fun at and belittles the idea of focusing so much on our outer piety, this idea that somehow we do God a favor by our worship and sacrifices. And instead, the Bible teaches us to emphasize how we care for the outcasts, the needy, the voiceless, the abused. During the season of Lent, then, we should become less focused on ourselves and more focused on others. As just one example, that's why the early fathers taught us that when we fast, we don't just give up food, but we give the food that we would have eaten to the poor. 
And they get this teaching. The fathers get this teaching. It's not something they made up on their own, but it comes from Isaiah 58, which I recommend everyone reads, because as I mentioned, it mocks the notion that our outward piety is what God desires and shows instead that God desires we relieve hunger in others. That's interesting, Father. I suppose the critique, or at least the question would be then, why even bother going to church? Why not just spend Sunday morning at a soup kitchen or somewhere else? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, it's a fair question, and we, we could probably spend an entire episode or more on this. But my short answer, we go to church to hear the scriptural message, to be corrected for the rest of that day and the rest of the week. We go to church because we're part of a community who learns to accept people, to sit at the table of fellowship with people who are different than us, people who have different ideas, different politics, different places in their life, and we all come before God as unworthy and accepting each other, even with, with our differences, as brothers and sisters, as equals. And then the final point to, to make on this brief summary of your question, we as the community can do much more good corporately as a body than any of us can do as an individual. So just take, for example, the program that you know well, Jason, that we do at our church. It's called Family Promise. For our listeners who are not from St. Mary in Wichita, look to see if you can find that organization in your local communities. It's a great opportunity for your church to serve the poor and needy. And in a nutshell, Family Promise, using volunteer churches, is able to provide consistent shelter, food, education, and so forth for families who have become homeless, and it helps them achieve permanent, sustainable housing. Well, how's that done? It's done by using our church buildings to house them. And the families in this program are fed by members of our church communities. And without that community, you cannot do the work on your own. You need a fairly large building for something like this. You need a network of volunteers. You know, the reality is we all have jobs. We have to support ourselves and our families as well. So you simply cannot replace the work of the community, the work of the church, or at least the work that the church should be doing by trying to do that on your own. Very good. I appreciate your comments, Father. Thank you. Moving along to verse 21, I'll quote here, She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. I could use some help with this one, Father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit of a difficult passage and, and a couple of things happening. Uh, several commentators uh, point out uh, that a slight change to the Hebrew inflection points in this passage, and, and you have uh, the passage saying that they're clothed in double instead of scarlet. So in other words, uh, this wife, uh, this woman is providing extra clothing to keep her family warm. Uh, but I will say that most scholars also know there's not necessarily a reason to think that that change is necessary other than it maybe makes more sense at first glance. Uh, but we don't really have a reason otherwise to think it was a mistake by the scribes that just happened to be embedded in the text over the centuries that it's scarlet instead of this double. And so I think that most stick with the text as being, uh, as you read it, that they're clothed in scarlet. And scarlet was considered a color of luxury, color of power or royalty. Um, below purple, which was the color worn by the emperors in the Roman Empire, the color scarlet was second uh, in rank in terms of prestige. So there's probably a sense that this virtuous woman is able to clothe her family well. But then on top of that, of course, Christians have picked up on this passage to refer to the blood of Christ, the scarlet blood of Christ, his sacrifice 
on our behalf for our salvation and how uh, this woman is not scared of of the death and in biblical times uh, certainly more people would have died from the cold than happens now in most of our uh, homes in you know in modern day america that's not a concern but this woman uh, is not scared of death because she knows that the suffering servant of I- isaiah that we discussed last week uh, will ultimately save her and her household good good uh, the final verse for today seems very clear, but I'd like you to comment on it if you would. It's verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Yeah, you know, as you say, it's pretty pretty straightforward. We shouldn't be looking for someone who is charming, as that may well not be indicative of their true character. And when you live with a husband or a wife, you'll inevitably be exposed primarily to their true character. We can't charm our way through life full-time. It's only an act that people can put on temporarily and normally when they're in public eye, which is, of course, the minority of our lives. And then beauty, of course, is vain. And note that that's, uh, that word used there is the same as Abel's name in Genesis. In other words, it passes, just like Abel passed. He was here one day, and the next day he wasn't. So physical beauty eventually fades for all of us, But the beautiful soul, the person who is spiritually beautiful, will only continue to become more beautiful over time as we learn to better put into practice the teaching of our Lord. Thank you, Father. Our reading for today contains the final verses of the book of Proverbs. And as Father Aaron highlighted, in the conclusion of literature, we find that the author ties together and reiterates their key points. We see this clearly illustrated in the conclusion of Proverbs today, where we are presented with a foundational teaching of the Bible, which is the importance of caring for the poor and needy, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, to protect the powerless. We went on to discuss how this central teaching is so often overlooked by Christians, and this is especially true during the season of Great Lent, where our focus can so easily turn inward to obsess over rules, to keep track of our attendance at services, to become fixated on our own needs and our spiritual growth. But we see in Isaiah 58 that God mocks this notion that he desires our outward piety. Rather, God desires that we relieve the hunger in others. So one might ask, why bother going to church at all? We go to church as a community, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to hear the scriptural message and to be corrected by it, to learn to accept other people and sit at table with those who are different from us. And as a community, as one body, we are empowered to do far more than we could do as individuals. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God.